As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. Stay tuned to learn more about BTE's tune-up services. Let's take just a minute to discuss motorsports insurance, specifically Larice Motorsports Insurance. If you're anything like me, you know of someone, uh, whether it's a friend, someone within your racing family that has lost everything, whether that be through or everything racing related, whether that be via fire or theft, highway accident, on-track accident. And if you're anything like me, you've also realized that you have a significant portion of your net worth tied up in your racing equipment. Maybe more than we would like to admit, right? This is, after all, our passion, and it can become a bit of a money pit. What you may not know is that there are options to insure your racing equipment, race cars, trailers, support equipment, both on the track and off, and that doing so is not as costly as you might expect. To do that for me personally, I chose Larice Motorsports Insurance. They're a great company offering an excellent product and they stand behind it. Now, I've been so impressed with Larice and their commitment to excellence in this regard that we've partnered with them through thisisbracketracing.com. Our own team member, Ashley Thompson, is a licensed broker for Larice Motorsports Insurance. If this is something that you would entertain, that you would like to know more about and or get a quote for your particular application, contact us. Go to thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote and Ashley will get back in touch with you. Again, that is thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote. Hello, 
everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. It's time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Uh, joining me now, longtime friend of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. He is a senior editor at National Dragster, been with them for as long as I can remember, and he is the authority when it comes to nerding out with me on NHRA championship points chases, particularly for this discussion within the sportsman classes. He is Kevin McKenna. What's happening, Kevin? Not much, Luke. You're, uh, you're far too kind with your introductions. Well, thank you for joining us on the show. <laughs> we had meant to try to get together on this a week ago, and this would have been way more convoluted, way more um, in-depth or confusing, I guess. We've got a little bit more clarity with the weekend that was division races or a divisional event at Rockingham, national event at Dallas helped clear up the picture, actually settled a couple of championships, but there is still plenty of drama and plenty to be decided as the tour winds its way to a close in Vegas for the national event and the divisional event, and then, of course, the world finals in Pomona. Yeah, it's almost like uh, somebody left the answers, uh, or at least partial answers, for the test that we have to take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got a little bit more clarity, but I think I say some fun stuff. We'll go through um, class by class, and uh, for what's been settled, we'll talk a little bit about how it got settled, specifically in recent weeks, and then we'll talk about what is yet to come at these final three events of the season. Kevin, let's start it out in competition eliminator. We don't talk a ton about comp on the podcast, but we try to hit the high points every now and then, and this feels like it's been settled for months. I think it became official at Charlotte, but Frank Aragona Jr. ended up running away with this championship. He did, but, but, but it's, it's amazing when you think back. I know earlier this year, um, I did a story with Craig Bourgeois after he'd won. Oh, I think in May, he, he was sitting on maybe four wins and a runner-up. And, and you thought, this guy is just going to walk to the championship. And since then, to, to be quite honest with you, he's done next to nothing. I, I think he went to maybe the quarterfinals in St. Louis. But I look at his scorecard, and there's a whole bunch of first and second round losses, which just... Uh, you kind of have to wonder what happened. And then obviously Frank was there to take advantage of that. Yeah, I do remember talking about Bourgeois' start to the season. And in May, I think we were ready to hand this championship to him. To your point, I'm pulling up this ledger now. Four wins and a runner-up in the first five races that he attended. <laughs> and to your point, yeah. since then, just a ledger. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine events where he has failed to get out of round three. Wow. Yeah, a tale, a tale of two seasons. <laughs> no doubt. And uh, and Aragon on the flip side, when he debuted that new center steer altered, which he had, we had him on the podcast after winning last year's championship, and he kind of teased that that was coming, mm -hmm. and that he was very very confident. Obviously, I, my understanding is that's the same combination that was in his championship dragster, and then obviously he gets what, in his opinion, was a, a better car from the get go, and obviously a clean index going to the altered. Uh, I guess it was rel relatively predictable, but he. I, did, I think it was four or five events that he went to with that car before he lost a round. Yeah, and, and I think he, he got a little lucky that he, uh, uh, I don't know, lucky, but you know, managed to hit a bunch of events where he didn't have to 
use up a bunch of index, either because the weather wasn't quite as, you know, uh, favorable as, as he thought it would be, or the, the way the, the ladder just happened to fall where he didn't have to use up a lot. But, uh, yeah, he's managed to, uh, to do a pretty good job of navigating the waters there. And, obviously, look at him. He's, he's almost got a perfect season going. You know, finished, I, I think he was one. Uh, he's got a semi at a national and uh, pretty much everything else ends at a five. So that's a pretty <laughs> solid season. I was just looking at that myself, seven out of eight. And what I thought was telling, I guess it was at Topeka that I saw Frank. And at that point, I think when he won Topeka, it may have taken the lead or it definitely the, the Topeka divisional event either took the lead or made him a, a significant contender with Bourgeois. And I just remember watching him and a couple of the comp guys that I knew there said, Frank can go as fast as he wants to go. And then I looked mm-hmm. at the car and it's a freaking competition eliminator car with beadlocks. Like they're obviously yeah. <laughs> trying to manage the index. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. that's just a slap in the face, you know? It is. And it's, you know, but you know, the, you, you don't, generally get to pick the rules i think you just operate within them uh, you know you almost no wonder if if an, if an event like indy you, you couldn't do what they've done with super stock and stock and just get rid of the cic's they probably wouldn't mm-hmm. help car count but but it would be interesting to see if you reverted back to the you know the early 90s where you didn't have to worry about any of this and see you know the guys that had the muscle see what they've really got so there was no cic back then well it, there wasn't uh, it actually started, Vinny Barone, I think, is the guy who is probably most credited. They used to have Vinny Barone's Five Cent Club, where, you know, indexes used to be an arbitrary thing. If somebody ran really fast for a couple of races, the tech department would get in and say, okay, let's hit the C altereds, and everybody would take the hit. And, of course, whoever was in that class, they felt it was a personal vendetta against them. You know, and then finally, it's like, well, let's come up with a little more structure to this. And it started out, you know, and honestly, I think Vinny was the guy that triggered it because, much like Frank, he had a car that was capable of lapping the field and he could pretty much cut whatever light he wanted and go out there and run down the other guy. And I think that at that point, it kind of triggered a, a, a thought of let's do something to sort of manage the class a little better. And now we have the CIC. Hence the CIC. All right. Yeah. So congratulations, Frank Aragona, uh, back-to-back competition eliminator champion. You've probably got mm-hmm. the data. How many world championships is that for Frank? That, that, that is number three. Number three. Okay. I would actually bet, yeah. took the over on that. Let's transition into Superstock where things got really interesting. I actually thought when Kyle Rizzoli advanced to, I think it was the semifinal round at the Phoenix points mm-hmm. meet a couple of weeks ago, that put him ahead of Joseph Santangelo by a single point. And I literally right. thought at that point, he probably just won the championship. Despite 615 is the number that he's got right now. That's not typically mm-hmm. a championship score, but just looking down the ledger, I thought, I don't know who's going to, surpass him well he's been surpassed <laughs> Vic yeah, Vendrod yeah. <laughs> basically came into the Dallas national event needing a final round appearance to pass Rizzoli he did that plus one he actually won the race and now yeah. sits in the lead by 22 points Penrod has one national event left to claim I haven't even looked I'm not sure if he's entered at Vegas but it's almost irrelevant because he's trying to improve on a runner-up so nothing right. short of a win will improve Penrod's score Rizzoli still got a shot, and I was kind of cr- trying to crunch the numbers. There's actually several super stock racers with some sort of mathematical chance. Where are you at on that? Let's run through it. You're right in your initial thing. You know, when Tangelo finished with 614, you thought, boy, that, that is a precarious position there. That, that just, it just typically is not enough 
even in the leanest years to, to get it done. And, you know, and obviously we, we've seen that there's a couple, the, the guy that I really like from the bottom, you know, you've got Aaron Stanfield. Uh, he's got a 40 divisional and a 52 national to improve on, you know, granted he's still, oh, I don't know. What is he about 80 points back? So he's got a lot of work to do, but I wouldn't put it past that kid to, to actually go in there and get it done. And, and I would assume he's going out West and he'll be racing pro stock. Um, to just drag the super stock car with him. That, that's that's an interesting one. And, um, you know, e- even Stephen Camella back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw that he is entered. Yeah, I don't I don't know did, if he went to Rockingham and took his... He was not on the sheet anywhere from Rockingham. So he's entered at the Vegas National. I assume he's going to get his last national okay, and divisional then, out west. Then, yep. Yeah, then, then, then he's looking at... I mean, his lowest score is 61. So, again, he's got work to do. But it's there for him. You know, we're only looking at uh, 45 points back. Right. Now, that's what I was looking at with Camilla, 45 back, improving fourth rounders on both sides. So even if he was to win one of the two races, he would still have to improve at the other. So pretty tall order there. Stanfield, Mm -hmm. you had mentioned, 78 back. He still can claim points at all three remaining races. I think he's improving a third round at both national events a second round at the divisional event. So similar situation, even if he won one, he would have to improve at one of the other two or with mm-hmm. three races. I mean, he could theoretically go five or six rounds at all of them and probably get there. Right. Rizzoli to our earlier point has the best chance. He's mm-hmm. 22 points back of Penrod. He can still right. earn points at all three, but kind of like Vic Penrod, Rizzoli would almost have to win a national event. I think he's improving a semi. He's improving a third round loss at the divisional. So that's his opportunity to make hay. But just the way that the bonus points shake down in on paper, you would say he's two rounds back. But the way the bonus points shake down, I believe he would have to win the fifth round at the points meet to overtake the lead. So even that is a pretty tall order with the pressure on. I guess if if you put me in Kyle Rizzoli's shoes and say, hey, you just go win one of the three races. <laughs> like, okay, I can do that. But to say that yeah. and then to go do it, when everybody knows that's what you got to do to win the world championship, two different things. Sure. Now, to, to, to his favor, he's a West Coast guy. He's probably almost certainly going to run all three of those events anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, I assume you just approach it with the mentality of, hey, I'm going. Let me just do the best job I can do, and you know, we'll see where I'm at at, at, at the end of the year. And you know, if, if it's not enough to surpass Penrod or somebody comes from behind, you know, at least you've got yourself a top five finish. That uh, you you can feel pretty good about. Yeah, no question. Oh. And I think it's safe to say. Well, I know because I can remember each of them. Kyle Rizzoli has graced the winner circle at each of those two facilities, two places that he's very mm-hmm. familiar with. So yeah. it would not be any type of shock if he was to uh, to do so again. I'm just looking through Vic Penrod's ledger, his national events, as we mm-hmm. mentioned, two wins and a runner-up. Plus, he's got a win at a points meet. And then, how about the DNQ at Indy? When you're in the middle, when you're in wow. the heat of a points battle, that and obviously that was, you know, at that point, that was a scored event. You follow that up with a first round loss in St. Louis. I'm just wondering about his confidence level going into Dallas. No doubt. No doubt. And Vic's a guy, I mean, I've known him since I grew up. He's been running Superstock for a long, long time with yes. varied success. He's always a really good bottom ball bracket racer, but uh, cool to see him make a run like this. And honestly, you know, championship or not, you look at the year he's had, and, and I think anyone who, you know, wins two national events, or, you know, a win and a runner-up, actually, yeah, wins two national events, runner-up at a third, and a points meet win, 
uh, you know, financially and otherwise, that, that that's a pretty nice season. That's a championship ledger. You know, I mean, I always sure. look at 650 as the the breaking point. If you get 650 and don't win the world, you're kind of unlucky. Uh, he's right. at 637. Right. Like that could legitimately hold up. Just a couple other quick notes on Superstock. These are, at least by my math, still mathematically eligible. Long mm-hmm. shots in all three cases. And I, I'm not even sure that any of them are going out west. But Jacob Pitt, Michael Manns, Irvin Johns, at least by my math, still have a shot. Right. Michael Manns was the one guy who I thought was really interesting because he's got a bunch of races to claim. I mean, obviously there's only three left, but he's got three first rounds mm-hmm. that he can improve on. So if if he decided to make a road trip out of it, more than 100 points to make up. But when you're looking at first rounds, it's yeah, the opportunity less there. of a task. Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Stock Eliminator where it got pretty dramatic at Rockingham last week, Kevin. It did. It did. Uh, I haven't completed the research yet, but we're trying to find anyone in, you know, super stock, stock, super super gas, super street, who's won five divisional events in a season. Right. And I haven't found one yet. Even the monster year that Peter Biondo had in 2005, he did not do it. So we may be looking at some pretty serious history here with Allison Dahl. Did that year Peter had like 800 points or something ridiculous? Uh, he, he was 792, wow. and I believe I believe he was four wins and maybe a semi at points meets, and I think he had a clean slate of three national event wins. <laughs> but I think he was just two two rounds short of a perfect season, which is insane. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you have it in front of you. That year, I think it was Lee Zane finished second, and he had like 730 or something ridiculous, like a score that would always uh, win the world. Yeah, Peter, I don't. Um, I don't know maybe Shane Carr. One, somebody put up something crazy that season and, and wasn't close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, there's, there's, there's been a couple of those. I don't know if anybody's ever gotten to 700 and didn't do it. Okay. But uh, I, I, I believe one year, I'm thinking Jody Lang was 699, and maybe that was one of Lee Zane's championship years where he was 702. I mean, I, I think uh, Jody was maybe two or three points back. And, and again, a 699 score that – You'd sign on the dotted line every year of your career. Yeah, give me um, that, right? Absolutely, and it wasn't <laughs> enough. So. But the, the Allison deal is just that—that that is that is crazy to do that, and and you know to, to look at a national event score that has a second round, a, a quarterfinal, two two quarterfinals. Um, yeah, but you know they, yeah. they all count equally. So, <laughs> no doubt. And just to give it some context. Allie rolled into the points meet at Rockingham last weekend. I believe she needed to win round three to overtake Joseph Santangelo and take the lead in Stock Eliminator. She accomplished mm-hmm. that and then just tacked on four more win lights. She won the race. Yes. Perfect light in the final round. <laughs> Eight thousandths total mm-hmm. package in the final. To your point, put the cherry on top of a perfect divisional season. She ends the season. You get to claim your best five out of your first eight NHRA divisional events, she won five, <laughs> which is, yeah, to your point, yeah. unheard of. Yeah, 525. It, it just it doesn't, you know, you had, you, you've had alcohol guys that do that routinely. Sure. It, it may have been, I know there have been a couple comp seasons that were pretty pretty close, but, you know, again, I haven't completed it. You know, we even look back to, to 1987 when Steve Cohen clinched his Super Comp Championship in July. He had he had four divisional wins. He did, he did not get the fifth. I couldn't even find anybody that had won a fifth that wasn't scored. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, 
pretty unprecedented feat. And, and to go triple O, I wasn't aware she was triple O in the final, but yes. uh, if, if that's not the ultimate spiking the football in the end zone, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> No doubt. And I was doing a little bit of research. I believe that Allie, and this is not, I think this is not official. Like I haven't seen the picture with her holding the placard yet. And if I'm doing mm-hmm. the math right, the only reason for that is Ryan Mangus and kind of mm-hmm. similar to the Michael Mann's discussion. I think Mangus is improving three first round losses. And if my math is right, if he ran the table at the last three, he would get by Allie. I think he's the only one with a chance. Uh, it looks to me like he's got uh, three second rounds. He's got two two national event second rounds and a divisional second round. Okay, that's right. Through, yeah, so the ceiling then would be another 195 for him if they were all 105s? Uh, sure, which, which uh, they should be. Yeah, so then 195 would put him at 698, which would put him nine points ahead. So nothing less than wow. winning all three for Ryan Mangus would get it done. So if at any point in the next month, Ryan Mangus goes down mm-hmm. the racetrack and his win light doesn't come on, <laughs> it'll be official and Allison Dahl will be a world champion. I'm going to assume that she spent a better part of today dress shopping. That's my <laughs> guess. <laughs> Good call. And to this point, I mean, what she's done, unbelievably impressive no matter how you look at it. But I was trying to look through history, and as best I can tell, she will be the first female world champion in Stock Eliminator. Can you verify that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, yeah, we, we've only had uh, four female world champions in, in sportsman racing. Oh, okay. Um, Trivia time. I, yeah, I think I know three. Yeah. Lay them on me. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mia Tedesco, Jackie right. Alley. Mm-hmm. Alley. Are you counting Alley in the four or no? No, I'm not. Oh, boy. Amy Falk? Amy Falk. And actually, technically, you know, Counting Megan Meyer, who just clinched. So okay, and counting Megan. Okay, so alcohol yeah. down. Was I right with Amy? Uh, you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amy was the first. Uh, you know, at least as far as the current uh, you know points format, not not going back to uh, you know the, the the 60s where you just had to win the finals, that kind of thing, to, to mm-hmm. be a national champion. But yeah, a, a points based system. It's a uh, it's pretty impressive. And, and actually, I'm a little surprised it's only four. Just when you look at the number of women who are out there. Yeah, just about every class getting it done. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and honestly, if, if you look at how the point shaped up this season, you know, you had Brenda Grubbs right in the middle of it from, mm-hmm. from start to finish. And uh, you look at some of the other classes, there, there were women who were going to finish top 10 close. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, re- really interesting to see uh, where we've come with that. All right, anything else to add on stock, or should we transition? Well, just, just, just I, I, do, I do think it, there's a little part of me that's, um, you know, that feels for Joe Santangelo to have the lead in both classes for most of the summer for weeks on end, and you know now obviously mathematically out of it in both cases. And if you look at his stock score of six forty four, that, that's you know that's downright respectable. Yeah, to your point. The word you used for his super stock total was precarious, sitting there at the top with 614. I agree with that. When specifically the way that Joseph finished out his season, uh, we talked about Mm -hmm. it here on the podcast because his last race to claim points was the national event at Maple Grove. And I really thought going in that if he had a chance to win the world championship, he had to win that race. And then he went out and he won that race. And that put him at 644. And were it not from, obviously, Allie's had an incredible season, but a month ago, 
you didn't really like her chances on paper. She's within that month. She went and won the points meet at Richmond, then won the points meet at Rockingham to pass Joseph. If yeah. not for that, I, I kind of agree with you. I think uh, I think six forty four had a pretty good chance of holding up. Yeah, a month ago, I'm looking at people like you know Jody Lang lurking back there, waiting for the West Coast races, and, and I feel bad for Jody. He's going to finish top five for probably fifteenth time. I was going to say it's going to be close to twenty, right? Yeah, it, 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 probably twenty. I mean, you're really talking about a guy who's got a Hall of Fame career, but he still has yet to win a world championship. You know, I looked at Austin Williams back then as a guy that was making some hay, especially after he won Indy. Hmm. More recently, Chris Knudsen, if, if, you know, if Allison hadn't won that race, he's probably still in the running here, um, you know, going into the, to the final three events. Another leader that has significantly helped his cause over the course of the last three to four weeks is – Ray Ray Miller, uh, or Ray Miller the third in Super Comp. He stretched things out a little bit. He had a quarterfinal finish at Rockingham. If my math is correct, he bumps up now to 679 points, which is typically a championship score. He can't rest easy just yet. Um, there is a racer from the Division Six area in the Great Northwest, Brian Presler, that has a a real shot on paper to uh, to overtake Ray Ray. Ray Ray still has one divisional event left to claim. And mm -hmm. he is actually kind of similar to, to where Ali was at. If he were to have won at Rockingham or he would go to Vegas and win there, he could also have a perfect divisional score. He has four divisional wins this uh, season, yes. all yes. in Division Two. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up, that it, it, as much as we're making of Allison's uh, you know, unprecedented feat, uh, it's entirely possible we, we could see it happen again, uh, which would really be amazing. But again, to your point, uh, it's starting to look like Ray might not need that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I think Brian Presley, uh, you know, I believe he lost first round in Dallas. That that was probably a, a big hit to his chances. But again, he can claim points at the final three events. And I'm not sure what he's... Yeah, he can't make up much with. ground on the divisional side. I think he's improving a semi, but his two nationals right. are... are a first round and a second round. So it's on the yeah. table. If he was to, let's see, assuming that Ray Ray doesn't improve at the Vegas points meet, a win mm -hmm. at either national would put Presler in the lead. Now I'm not sure that he's ever won a national event, but he has won four divisionals this year. So that's not beyond the right. scope of reality right. by any means. And, and you do wonder, uh, you know, th this typically happens with uh, sometimes racers from, from division six and where you get stuck with the 95 point win. Or sometimes a 74-point runner-up, depending on car counts. And, you know, you, you expect that sort of thing in comp, but, but a huge class like super comp, that's kind of a rarity. And you just kind of feel bad for the guy if he happens to lose the championship by less than 10 points. You know, it, it, totally a situation not of his own making to go to an event, you know, where you have a short field. Sure. Yeah, he does oh. have 195 on the ledger. Actually, I was mistaken. He's got three wins, a runner-up, and a semi. That's what constitutes his division score to this point, plus a semifinal yeah. at a national event. Yeah, so, so he's, he's likely going to the Jays All-Stars next year. Yeah, yeah. Division six title's got to be looking pretty good. So, right. But yeah, no, a, a win at either national or really like if he was to go pretty deep at both of them could overtake Ray Ray again, I would assume – for reasons that we'll get to in the next class as well, I would assume that we'll mm -hmm. see Ray Ray again at uh, at Vegas. 
blocking at the national event and then with an opportunity to improve at divisional. I, I like his chances, but at the same time, that's easy for me to say. If I was Ray Ray, I don't think I'd be resting right. looking at what Presler could do. Right? And then I think yeah. there's a couple other mathematical chances, but it's basically Miller and Presler at this point. Yeah. Uh, but before we close the book on Super Cup, I am curious about uh, your, your own season where you're sitting fifth right now. Uh, there had to be a point where you felt like you were very much in it. I would assume after the, uh, you know, after winning the big Topeka race. Sure. Yeah. The eight rounder. Yeah. Yeah. And just I, a lot of missed opportunities since then. I uh, dropped the, the I, this sounds silly because you would point to a semifinal loss at Brainerd or uh, I lost at nine cars at Indy went red, but probably the, the turning point of my season was actually the divisional at Brainerd. I ran Trevor Larson third round. It was one of those, like a 66 car field to where we were racing for the buy at nine to run mm-hmm. one round where the opponent ultimately went red at five for another buy at three. And, wow. uh, that race, I'm 18, he's 20. I get there three thousandths to be 89, three to his 89, four. And that oh, one thou flips, who knows, you know what I mean? I, if, assuming that sure. I would go on race, I would be in it now. I'd still have some work to do going to Vegas, but that's the one that I would point to as like the real ouch. But you look back on the season and any round loss when you, you know, sniffing a title seems to be much more important than it felt in the moment. So, Oh, sure. But I think ultimately, like, it just had the feel right from the get-go. Because Ray Ray jumped out and won, I think, his first three divisional events. And he's been a guy kind of – you mentioned Jody Lang, and I always think of Tommy Phillips. Really, really talented Hall of Fame racers, to use your words, that have come Mm -hmm. so, so close in the past. And for whatever reason, it hasn't fallen in place. And in some cases, you could use that and say, well, it's just never going to happen for that individual. But I think more often than not, it just creates this resolve that, like, before this is over – I'm going to make this happen at some point. And that's just the feel that I've gotten from Ray Ray all year. Like I just felt yeah. like this is the year it's going to come together for him. Yeah. And, and I can actually remember probably 10 years ago, actually losing a bet to Bob Fry because Ray did the same thing. He started off on fire and uh, I think he had maybe three wins and a runner up by the time we got to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Bob came to me with some crazy proposal and I said, Oh, Ray's going to win that thing hands down. And, uh, I feel bad that I may have jinxed him because I don't think he did anything else the rest of the season. I think he might have finished seventh or eighth. You know, at the time we made the wager, I think uh, you know he probably had an eighty-point lead, and you thought this guy's good; he's going to coast to the title. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but yeah, there, there would certainly be some justice for him to, to have come close. You know, on several, probably maybe ten or twelve occasions now, and uh, you know, to, to finally put it together and get it done. Yeah, and it actually has it. The, the chances aren't great, but there's a chance that he could do something that's only been done three other times. Ray he catapulted his super comp chances significantly when he won in Galat a couple weeks mm-hmm. back, and the win there was part of a double. He won in Supergas. Then he came out to Rockingham last week and won in Supergas again. Now he's still a long shot, but by my math, Jeremy Mason appears to have Supergas under wraps. Okay, he's he's. Mm-hmm. Up now, he runnered up to Ray Ray at Rockingham. I think he's up to 644 points now and could still claim one more national event. And he may be going to Pomona. Right. And I think improving a third round loss. And 644, to our point earlier, like that's a championship type score. If he does not improve, Ray Ray is one of the ones with a chance to catch him. He would have to win the Vegas points meet, but 
it's been several divisionals since he staged that Camaro Roadster in Winlight. <laughs> so yeah. kind of to the the opposite situation of uh, of Supercom. If I was Jeremy Mason, I can tell Jeremy Mason he's in really good shape. But knowing that, I don't know that I would rest easy until this is over. Yeah, you do have to wonder the mentality, and, and I suppose there are a lot of variables that control this, of what makes you take the trip to Pomona, especially when you're in the lead. Like, how big a lead do you feel is safe? Yeah. Do, do you count the, the number of points, or do you look at the number of competitors? You know, if there were a half dozen guys chasing me, I think I personally would feel compelled. I got to be out there. I, I got to at least have some control over my own fate. If it's one or two guys that, that need basically a Hail Mary, then I suppose I would let finances dictate it. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm someone with means and I can do it, I probably would. If the budget's a little tight, uh, it might just, uh, you know, stick by the computer and then hope for some good news. Yeah, and that's really the situation he's in. Like, it would take a, a Hail Mary or two on the parts of the, the opponents chasing him. And at this point, at least the time of this recording, Jeremy Mason is not entered in Pomona. So... Take mm-hmm. that for what it's worth. It's still a couple weeks away. By my math, again, it's Ray Ray with a shot. Jim Ridecap. We've, we've had some fun mm-hmm. with Jim on the, yep. on, the, uh, on the podcast in the past. He mm-hmm. can claim points at all three remaining races. He's got a lot of work to do. He's over 100 points back, but is improving yeah. a first round at the divisional, a second round at one of the nationals. So could get there. It would take a combination of at least two strong performances. Bo Butner's another, another interesting case. <laughs> we've kind of followed Bo's trek through Supergas because he didn't get this car until middle of the Western Swing and promptly went out and won about everything that he went to, nationally mm-hmm. and divisionally. His Vegas points meet will be just his fifth of the season, which, again, you get your best five out of eight. So he's throwing away nothing. And the way that Mason has stretched this out, it's made it difficult, but it is still possible for Bo. He would have to win the Vegas points meet and win one of the remaining two national events. But, again still, at least on paper, has a shot to overtake Jeremy Mason. You, you're Bo Butner. You, you, you've done greater you, <laughs> things in your life. <laughs> you won a Pro Stock Championship. You, you, you pretty much never failed at anything you've tried. So uh, I wouldn't put it past him. But, but I think at this point, uh, Bo, uh, I'm sure he wants uh, to do something that's almost equally as impressive, which is to finish top 10 in three classes. Mm-hmm. You know, we know he's, he's already locked up uh, top 10 in Pro Stock and in Factory Stock. And I think if he can go out there and just win enough rounds to move up into the top 10, I think that would be a pretty memorable achievement. Good point. Good point. I don't know that that's ever been done. I certainly can't think of anyone offhand just because, as you said, you, you know, the way you would have to time it, number one, you'd have to have access to three different cars. <laughs> right. and you, can't run, you can't run them at the same race. So you, know, you would almost have to do sort of what he did with factory stock where the bulk of your season there is early in the year and then pick up something in July and hit that hard and, and have success. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky for anyone to do that. I think. And I guess back to the Jeremy Mason discussion, like he could save this for Pomona and you could almost just see what happens at Vegas and Vegas. Like somebody have to throw a Hail Mary. And if they do, I assume you could get from Kentucky to Pomona in three days. Like you just enter Monday morning and hit the road. Yeah, true. Or if you know somebody, uh, you know, maybe have a car to drive. Sure. Again, not often the ideal thing, but if, if you feel like you need to, don't know. Or, or, or then again, maybe you just decide that uh, he lives in Kentucky, right? So it, it's fall. It's starting to get chilly. Maybe, maybe a West Coast vacation would, would do him some good right now. <laughs> I don't think many in Kentucky would complain about that. 
No, probably not. All right. Top drags got settled over the weekend in probably not as not as dramatic a fashion as Jeff Strickland would have liked. Strick had a shot at Rockingham. I think he had to make it to the semifinal round. He ended up losing a close race in round one, and that sealed the deal for one Danny Nelson. And I'll be honest, Kevin, the last time that we recorded an episode dedicated to NHRA points, I was trying to go through favorites, contenders, long shots. When we topped Top Dry Extra at that point, which was probably two and a half, three months ago, Danny Nelson wasn't in the conversation. What Danny Nelson has done over the course of the last – two and a half months is the stuff of legend. It's basically, we talked about Craig Bourgeois season. It's that in reverse. Danny went to, let's see, two, four, five, six. Cause Norwalk was actually later. He went to seven events by the end of July and had one fourth round loss. Best he did. Since then, Danny Nelson has been to one, two, three, four, five events. And has one fourth round loss, one semifinal loss, and four wins, which catapults him to. And that's that's all in the last 60 days. Yes. Started at Bowling Green at the end of August. Yeah, absolutely. That that is amazing. And and it's actually, I had a nice talk with Danny today. And, you know, he he was watching what was going on in Rockingham this week. And I told him, I said, did you thank Jeff Strickland for not taking years off your life to, you know, to win three or four rounds? And the one interesting thing that Danny said he said his biggest fear for that event was, you know, two years ago, I think they had four cars in mm-hmm. Dr. Extra at that race. Last year, I think it was eight or nine. And he was really afraid that Strickland was going to show up there and it was going to be three rounds for 85 points. And, you know, which it wasn't, I don't know what the car count was, but I assume I think it they was, had 27. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, was, it was close to a full field. Obviously, you know, a, a lot of good cars there. You know, so so at least you know the you you knew that there was a fair fight there, and you know again it, it's um, a little surprising to see Jeff Strickland go out first round at any event, but then when you look at the quality of the competition in Top Dragster, some of the packages that come out of there, that obviously can happen to anybody. Yeah, no question. I uh, and I think he ran one of the Houston's first round. It, it was a pretty solid race, and those two really went back and forth just specifically mm-hmm. in the last month, you know, since Danny got red hot, Danny took the lead and then Strick won, was it Kalat? Retake the oh, lead. You thought, okay, yeah, that stretches it out. And then Danny comes right back and wins the points meet at St. Louis. It was fun to watch two guys that I really enjoy. Strick's my buddy, but mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll be honest, yep. it's hard to root against Danny Nelson in that situation. Like, it, just, uh, it, it is. I, I like both of them a lot. I've known both of them for many years. I suppose I probably feel a little differently about this if Jeff hadn't gotten these two championships a couple of years ago. Exactly. Yep. But, um, you know, to, to me, Danny's just a quality guy, and I've never met anybody with a bad word to say about him. And uh, I, I also, to, to me, I just think it's great to, uh, you know, to see you know, rural Arkansas going to Hollywood, California. To, to me, I just love it when guys like that get to go to the banquet and they walk down Hollywood Boulevard and they see the stars. And it's it just the, the dynamic of that is really kind of fascinating to watch. Yeah, agreed. You, uh, the only thing would be better is if we had a, a season in which Danny Nelson and Jason Lynch both won the world championship, and we could just partake. Oh, oh, oh. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, congrats to Danny. The last class uh, that we have to touch on is Top Sportsman, where another dramatic ending uh, at Rockingham with Sandy Wilkins getting the win there. Sandy came in tied for the the lead with Alan Firestone improved mm-hmm. on, I believe a second round loss 
with a 95 point win there. So that cultivate that uh, catapults him 54 more points. I don't think that completely puts it out of reach. It puts him right at 600, which is an astronomical score in top sports. but I don't think oh, it's sure. completely over at this point. I could be wrong. I, I did not do the math. I, I know uh, you've got, uh, well, we, we only have, we only have one more event left, right? It's, yeah. Right. There's, Cause it's not contested at either of the national events. I think how yeah. would be the only one with a shot, but he'd have to get 57 points, which it's an extra round out there. Because top sportsman uh, goes six to me, rounds to, as well. To me, like, to me, like he'd have to win. He has to win right. Vegas. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and obviously, I mean, there will be the forty-eight cars, but uh, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, nothing to it. It's actually, I, having been in that situation, not at not the last race of the season, I will say you kind of go in with expectations diminished because you're like, ah, what are the odds? Right. Now, as a few wind lights come on, I think round mm-hmm. four gets way more difficult than round one. You know, oh, well. if that makes sense, yeah. because the the gravity and the the opportunity really starts to feel real. But yeah, and Crumlich is a guy that he was he was in a similar position last year. He was involved in the championship chase going into Vegas, so he knows what that pressure feels like. But regardless of the situation, it's if it's win or don't win the championship, that's a pretty tall order. Yeah, yeah, and, and actually, though, you know, you're talking about the pressure points, but we have actually seen it. A lot of times, I mean, I can think back over the last 20 years, a number of cases where somebody has gone to the West Coast needing a big showing, you know, whether it's a win or even a four or five round deal, and they find a way to get it done. And, and, and you, you think to yourself, I mean, Justin Lamb's a guy that comes to mind where, mm-hmm. you know, he's come in a couple times way behind. And you think, you know, there's 80 cars at this event, and, and you know, there's one guy that can get it done. and Somehow, some way, uh, it seems to happen. The year that uh, Joe Santangelo won his championship, it was win or bust at Vegas, and that was another heartbreak for Jody Lang. He had to win the race. He won the race. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know how I would feel to be on, on the wrong end of that. I think uh, that that would be a bitter pill to swallow all year to, to come in and, and think, God, this guy, you know, he's got to win the race. Such a long shot. But you know, until uh, you know, that, that's why they don't give you the check until the math is final. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I've been on that end of it too, and it's not fun. So, not quite no. to that extreme. No. The first year that I really chased things, uh, Gary Stinnett had to, I think it was win fifth round at Vegas, and I was sitting on the computer and watched him win first round, second round, third mm-hmm. round, fourth round, fifth round. So, <laughs> I know what that feels like. And it's interesting. I mean, back to Sandy Wilkins, you could obviously see this coming from a mile away. He's been one of the best top sportsman racers since the class was invented. Uh, you look, he, he started the year off with a win, right? I think he won the, the first event of the year in Orlando. Mm-hmm. So, so he was, he, he was the leader coming out of the gate uh, after the first hole anyway. And yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at, you know, he's got a couple first and second round losses, but overall it's a pretty solid season. Yeah. You put up 600 in a, in a class where the, the ceiling per race is 95. That's impressive. And, and you have one fewer national event to claim to right. clean up that score. All right, so, again, if we were to, to handicap things, there's a couple of them that are over. I'd say Vic Penrod is the, the favorite in Superstock, but probably in the most precarious mm-hmm. position. Yeah. Ali's pretty much got stock wrapped up. Ray Ray looks good in Supercomp. 
but not over. Same with Jeremy Mason, Super Gas. Danny Nelson has clinched top dragster. Frank Aragona has clinched top sportsman. Or I'm sorry, has clinched competition eliminator. And Sandy Wilkins looks pretty good in top sportsman. We'll follow up and revisit all of this in a couple of weeks. But uh, thank you for coming on and breaking all this down for us. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Uh, love to join you guys anytime. Uh, anytime you're having me. Absolutely. Any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I, I just uh, well, I just think it, it's been a great year. It's kind of interesting, given the level of competition you have, to see some of these championships either decided or very close to being decided with still three races left. I think that's a bit of an anomaly. You know, typically you've got at least one class where you've got four or five guys heading into the Vegas Pomona races that that can do it. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think you just had the, the late season surge just came a little early with some of the guys that won the lot, one Rockingham, one in Dallas. Um, you know, as you mentioned at the opening, uh, th this last weekend cleaned up a lot of questions. You know, if, if that hadn't happened, you know, our, we would be having an entirely different conversation today. Yeah, no, that it was a really dramatic weekend. And to your point, it's, uh, it feels odd not to have more up in the air, undecided going to Vegas. Mm -hmm. It does, but hey, if you're into the pro stuff, you know, you, you, you watched last week in Dallas, uh, you know, the guys 6th, 7th, 8th in points win, so almost all of those classes are tightened up, and uh, if you like dramatic finishes, I think you're going to have that in Vegas at the moment anyway. So. Yeah, right, have plenty of that coming regardless. Mm -hmm. Good stuff, thanks K-Mac. Alright, ha happy to do it, and uh, sorry I won't see you this weekend, but uh, I'm sure we'll... Uh, cross path somewhere, I guess, maybe a PRI or somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I plan on making the trek up to PRI this year and uh, enjoy the million. I will. I uh, appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Thanks, Luke. I'll see you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services, quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. 
Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.